As we all know, life is full of anxiety. But the question is, how do we manage it? That's what we discussed during this week's episode of That's the Worst Advice Ever podcast. And I'm your host, Ernie Coyotin. This week, I sat with licensed therapist and owner of Good Heart Recovery, Dr. Courtney Tracy. We chat about how anxiety affects us from the pandemic to children going back to school and even social media's effects on society. We also go over a few listener submitted questions as well. So join us on this journey into mental health and how we can all navigate through it. It's learning time. Let's go. Hey, Dr. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for having me on here. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining me. Um, So for for this episode, I wanted to really kind of nail down some stuff regarding anxiety. Um, I know that's your current lesson plan for your Truth Seekers community, which we'll get into later. Um, But also with so much going on, it really seems to be a... uh, a touching point for so many people now more than ever it seems like so i kind of just wanted to get uh talking about that um so to start off i think one of the common things that's that's kind of been going around for a long time is social media Mm -hmm. and its effect on mental health can we kind of just touch on that a little bit um and maybe talk about both the negative effects and positive effects Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you for having me on here. And I think anxiety is such an important topic right now. And especially in relation to social media and media in general, because what's going on right now in the world in terms of, let's say, let's just focus on social media. It's really unavoidable. So that's kind of going into like the negatives of social media. It's like, let's say that you have low self-esteem let's take away like everything going on in society right now let's say you have low self-esteem and then you open up social media your brain feels like oh you're the worst person in the world you're ugly you're worthless and so what your brain is going to do on social media is your brain is going to look for posts that validate that belief so it will it will reinforce everything negative that you think about yourself and everything negative that you think about the world. If you span out into the pandemic or different political views that are going on right now or that people hold within themselves and you can get triggered by the alternative beliefs that you don't believe in or just triggered by constantly being reminded of the fact that life is no longer normal in terms of what we used to think normal was. So that's more so like the content of social media and how it can be negative. But then it's also the fact that just using social media in general for positive things or negative things, depending upon what those positive things are, can be really detrimental to you too. So like you can become addicted to social media. You actually can. And then, and you can use social media as a form of connecting with people because you don't feel comfortable connecting with them in real life. And so then you actually are isolating yourself more when you don't think that you are. So you're not actually solving the problem of learning how to grow your social side in a way that's actually beneficial to you as a human being. So as a human being, you want to go outside. 
You want to be out in the world. You want to be verbally interacting with people face to face. At least that's like what our body chemistry wants. That's what our brain wants. And so we can start to feel even more isolated, even though we are engaging socially with people on social media. So there's so many different ways that it can be negative for you. And then in terms of it being positive, it's like, I don't, okay. So with TikTok, I have a really large following on TikTok. And the reason why I liked it so much, because they asked me, my cousin is a social media manager and she was like, you should get a TikTok. I think that you would do well on it. And I was like, fuck, like I'm, I can't, like I have so much stuff going on. And she was like, you really need to download it and check it out because it's very different than any other social media platform. And I was like, okay, fine. So I downloaded it. And the first thing that I liked about TikTok was the fact that it was so authentic and so real. And I think that that is what's actually made TikTok the most alluring to so many people. And actually I see videos all the time on TikTok of people comparing TikTok to Instagram, for example, because on Instagram, you want to have like your, you want to look your best. You want to do your best. It's like only like your picture perfect photos are literally the ones that end up going on Instagram. And on TikTok, the ideal is someone that's real and someone that's authentic, someone that's funny, someone that's being their real self. So in a way, I feel like social media is, is at a turning point where people are really, really over the fakeness that comes along with social media because of how much it contributes to lower mental health. Sure. So that's why I liked TikTok because of the authenticity um, and the destigmatization of mental health specifically. Like people really talk about their shit. And that's going over onto more platforms, more social media platforms, which I think is really cool. But I think it also depends on the generation. Like if you use social media when you're really young and that's how you're communicating, like I, like I think about like our younger generation that has like Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and all these other video apps. And then when they get older, it's gonna be hard for them to like interact in a regular job and have normal interpersonal conversations because they're not they're not gonna be used to like really engaging with someone. It's like, here, here hold on, you just asked me something. Let me pull out my phone and email you my response. <laughs> so, right. so it depends on the generation, it depends on what's personally going on for you and why you're personally using it. But I think overall, if you mix social media and anxiety, it's like it can help and it cannot help. It can cause anxiety or it can help anxiety because there's also like great quotes that go out or like my content on Instagram, for example, like teaches people about trauma and their anxiety and accepting what they have going on for them internally in terms of their mental health. And so it really depends. One thing I think when it comes to social media and anxiety is that people like they forget that they you can curate your content. Like if you don't want to follow someone whose body makes you feel like you have a bad one, like you can unfollow them, you know, but it's our like unconscious desire to want to like see what they're doing because we want to be like them. And because it's more comfortable for us to validate the negative feelings that we have about ourselves than it is to like start following body positive ones, because then you may see images where the people are larger than 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 you would like to be, and that like can be discouraging to you, for example. So it really just depends. I mean, social media is relatively new. I remember I first downloaded Instagram in 2007 or 2008, 
And it was when like you used a shit ton of filters and like just posted pictures <laughs> of your pets and stuff. And it was just like, look at my dog with all the glitter all over, like in a filter. And it was, it's actually a lot more freeing and fun. And now it's really become like a, a lot is about like comparison and yeah. proving that you have stuff that other people want. And I think we're just now slowly rolling backwards to be like, wait, this is actually fucking with a lot of people's heads. How can we do things differently? Yeah, I know. I know for me going touching on that point, I struggle with that myself, even as far as not wanting to see things, but going and hunting for those things I don't mm -hmm. want to see, whether it be negative comments or or whatever it is. And it's tough. It's tough. And I have to pull myself out of it and say, you know, I have to take a break. And I know there's a lot of people that do that. They'll kind of they'll kind of detox from it and uh, and then come back to it. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. And uh, but it's funny that you mentioned that because I know I can only speak from my own experience. And that that's exactly what I struggle with sometimes, too, is, is looking for what I don't want to see. Yeah. That's such a thing too. And then, and then I guess, you know, you brought up a really good point of social media is like people are a lot more confident behind the screen than yes. in real life. So people can be fucking assholes to you. And depending upon how big your following is, like for me, I've realized that like, like on my TikTok videos, for example, because those get like sometimes thousands of comments. I'll like scroll through the positive ones and I appreciate every single one of them, but I'll scroll through and then I'll see one that's like therapists aren't real doctors. And then I'm like, what the fuck? And then I like go to go comment on that one, not to like be angry back, but to like help them understand that like sure. there are different types of doctors in the world. Yeah, to stick up for yourself. Yeah, but then I catch myself going, wait a minute, I'm going to spend time responding to this negative comment that I literally searched through a thousand comments to see <laughs> if there was any negative one. But then I'm not acknowledging like that the people that are saying positive things to me and thanking me and telling them how much it's helped, like that's where I should be spending my time. And but maybe it's because like the volume of positives is this high that it's like, OK, if I start to tackle that, like which ones am I going to respond to? Which ones am I not? And like, how do I pick and choose? But then the negative ones, I'm like, oh, I'm going to jump on this. And so it's a lot easier for us. Like we defend based on what we post, like if we want to post only the best or we'll defend if we just respond to negative ones. But then that causes such an increase in our anxiety. Like in the beginning, I had to really stop myself. I'm like, Courtney, you have to stop looking for the people that don't like you because that's not why you came on here. You came on here to be validated and validate. And so if you're just looking for things that you know cause you anxiety, then this isn't gonna be fun for you. This isn't gonna be enjoyable and that's really what social media should be it shouldn't be a primary form of communication and it shouldn't be something that makes you feel like shit and if it makes you feel like shit then then you've got to figure out something else to do and so in the beginning i was like this is fun and now people are being mean and now i have anxiety and i'm looking for the things that cause me anxiety and then that's causing me more anxiety and then my anxiety is making it so i have a hard time making videos and then my videos are supposed to be on how to help anxiety while I'm having anxiety. And so it's like this, it's just this like disaster of emotion because we are a disaster of emotion as a human being. Right. And so we wanna use social media as a form of like, as a form of pleasure. Like we wanna right. find joy in it and creativity. And it's when it's not doing that for us or if it's the only thing that's doing that for us, then we need to take a look at it. That's a great point. Um, 
it seems like a societal thing that we gravitate towards negative. It seems so much easier to attach ourselves to negative than it does the positive. It just feels like positive takes so much more work, even though that's really what we need. So it, it's, um, I don't know. I can, I can really relate to what you were saying about that negative part and how you can, you can scroll past, like you said, so many positive messages, but it's that one negative that stands out so much like a sore thumb. And I think that's in, in, I'll say it, but in real life as well. But even from a business sense, you know, when you go on Yelp or Google, you'll notice the reviews, the positive ones companies ignore and the negative ones they like lash out at. And instead of almost almost benefiting, hey, you know, you gave a positive review, I'm going to benefit you by giving me that positive review. Right. But I don't know. It, it, it seems to be I just say, a vicious cycle. It is. And it's about so, safety, you know, like it's about safety. And that's really what anxiety is about like we have anxiety when we feel physically or psychologically unsafe and so when we're looking for those negative comments or we are following people that make us feel bad about ourselves for example it's because we want to be reminded of the things that we that may make us unsafe may harm us or we want to be reminded of things like our future goals like what your life is like right now is unsafe and you don't like it. So follow a so follow a bunch of people who have the life that you want so you can be constantly reminded of what you want, but it actually reminds you of what you don't have, which yes. makes you feel unsafe. And so it's really about like finding ways to keep yourself safe and remembering that as much as the negativity on social media can make you feel bad about yourself, the positivity on social media can make you feel good about yourself. And we don't we don't balance it out like that. Like we just sit in the negativity and then wonder why our life feels like shit. And if we like were to reframe it and use the resources that we have, like what if we are, what if we have social anxiety and the only way that we can really interact with people is through the internet. We should use it and like add positive quote hashtags that we follow or find accounts that are gonna make us feel good about ourselves. But sometimes we can get frozen in anxiety and just feel like I can't help myself. And that's kind of where like learning about anxiety, why do we have it and how, like why why do we have it? Like why is our anxiety coming up for us? Because it's trying to do something for us, it just doesn't know what. Right. Like it just knows that something's unsafe, but it can be wrong. And we're the only ones that can tell our anxiety if it's right or if it's wrong. And the only way to do that is to learn about it see how it applies to certain areas of your life like social media for example and then go from there yeah um that seems to be the tough part is what you do with it that's, that's the tough part yeah um, now the more towards the positive side i've found where i've, I've been able to find a lot of good information and a lot of good people on social media, including TikTok. When I first started on TikTok, I only went on because my daughter wanted one. I thought, well, the best way to watch what she's looking at and doing is to learn it myself and be on there. Mm -hmm. And I may have fell for the trap and <laughs> ended up being on there for myself. And, and I found a lot of good people such as yourself and other therapists, and even medical doctors and all different kinds of people and, and was able to glean a lot of good information from it. Mm -hmm. um, so to kind of just lean more towards the positive side, um, what are some things that you've noticed being on there and having almost 700,000 followers on TikTok? 
yourself yeah. that you found can be positive or or how can we use those apps in a more positive way I yeah I, I really like that question. I think, I mean, when I was talking earlier about the shift, like there's just a shift going on and I really think TikTok has a huge role in that shift. Like, I think like I updated the app and their like tagline or whatever was like, be authentic or like we welcome authenticity. And that is just like, like there's like a, there's like a unit of society that believes in authenticity and being your true self. And then there's the rest of society that's like, you better be the best and you better not show me any of your weaknesses or any of your flaws, because then I will fucking attack you and take from you and make your life miserable. And so with, and that's like, that seems extreme, but it's the truth. True, and, yeah. and so I think what TikTok is doing is it's saying like, you, this is a safe place for you to be yourself. And that's what I really like about that about that app what i've seen on tiktok specifically is like that people will talk about their ailments like people will talk about their struggles and their weaknesses very openly and the community of people who will respond in the comments or like you know a video will say like um tiktoks for you page shows you videos that are people that relate to you so if you're seeing this video then you must have suicidal thoughts every day for example and like if that was on instagram like five years ago people would be like what the fuck is this this is like really intrusive whether or not they really were having those thoughts or not and so on tiktok people are like hell yeah and they'll like duet it and show themselves with their face and really say like i go through this too and so there's this huge community of people that have wrapped around themselves in other people like they see themselves in other people and they're like this is my opportunity to one not feel alone myself and to help this other person not feel alone so i think that that is one huge benefit that tiktok primarily has and i think you know instagram today actually just came out with instagram reels like yeah. their competition against tiktok so i was checking it out a little bit today because i have access to it and it's not as good, but I have a feeling that, you know, you can add filters and everything like that, but it's a lot easier to make yourself look good in a picture than it is to make yourself feel good and look good in a video. So I feel right. like the video aspect of it, even though there's lives, but it's just a little different now with reels, I think it may move that authenticity over to Instagram too, which would be really, really nice because Instagram is used by like every generation at this point and then i think also it's it's being able to follow positive accounts so being able to fall like i follow before i was a creator i followed a bunch of inspirational like quotes and um like life coaches really that were just you know constantly upbeat but also like helping people with their struggles and so i think that there's good I guess you could call them channels that are on social media and a variety of different kinds. Like even YouTube is a great one for social media. You can get super addicted to YouTube though. Cause you know, every Instagram app at this point or every social media app at this point has learned if you just make the next thing start playing within five seconds, people will probably watch it. And then you find yourself for hours on social media. So, I mean, that's like going let's, more into the name. Yeah, yeah, let's not go <laughs> So that's still going more into the negatives, but you know, the positives also are like, as someone that's worked with people with social anxiety before, like sometimes it's, sometimes it can be a good tool for people to start to interact with others without actually having to go full force 
into like going up to a stranger and talking to them when they're in line at the store or something. It's like you can just maybe put a comment out and see if people comment you back. So it's a great form of communication, especially with exposure therapy, for example, with someone that has panic attacks or social anxiety disorder or agoraphobia or something like that. But it also just, it really depends on the person. It depends on why you're using it, you know? And if you like start using social media for fun and then let's say something really traumatic happens to you and then you isolate and you don't leave your house and then all you have is social media, your purpose for social media could have changed. So you may think, oh, it's still just fun, but you're not realizing that you're actually using it as a negative coping skill. That's now debilitating your ability to like get back out there in the world. Like it's, it's, it's allowing your trauma to stay because you're not actively going against it or learning about it. But I don't know, I mean, I really like social media. Like I'm on a lot of social media platforms and I plan on going on even more. And so I think it's, you know, that I guess another thing for me is like, you can spread information well. So the negative is that you can't avoid like public information, even if you wanted to, like the news, because everyone's talking about it. But you can also share really important information that's super helpful, like depending upon, like let's just take like the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter situation. And I'm not gonna, I mean, you can tell from my social media, which, <laughs> which what my system yeah. are, or what my belief system is. But just in regards of saying that there's essentially two sides to this situation, both sides have the opportunity to share their information, whether we like it or not, publicly for other people to see. And both sides think that they're right. And so I'm basically what I'm just saying is that information that you believe is right, information that you believe should be shared that can help the public, help society, help you, help your family, help your community, can be much more easily spread. Even as low, even going as far as like people share lost dogs and like lost cats on social media because it's just a way to like spread information vastly so that can be a positive just as much as it can be a negative yeah now kind of shifting gears you had mentioned social anxiety and agoraphobia and stuff like that yeah. our current situation right now and for majority of us having to be self-distanced isolated stuff like that I found even for myself, when I was younger, high school age, I battled with a bit of agoraphobia myself. And what I've learned is I adapted to the isolation easier because I'd rather just not be out anyways. Mm -hmm. But I can also see how that can be a problem. Now, now, have you seen where that's the situation and, and what what's the effect that our current situation is kind of having on people's mental health that whether they were dealing with it before or not? Yeah, that's a great question. It has really affected people. So people who have people who have mental illness in relation to anxiety or agoraphobia, for example, it can go either way. Either they can't adjust because they're used to it and their body and their mind and their spirit prefers it on an unconscious or conscious level, or it can make things significantly worse. So maybe they've been working on trying to get out or maybe they have OCD and it's related to germs or bacteria or something like that. It can really make people regress significantly. 
suicidality has increased because people are losing their jobs, because people have more time with themselves and more times with their family, for example, like there's been any issues that haven't been addressed. A lot of those issues have become really fucking unavoidable. And that can really be detrimental because maybe the process was working on it in individual therapy to like, how am I going to confront this? How am I going to change this? And now the people can't, they just can't get away from their problem. And then alcohol and drug use has increased significantly because one, people lost their jobs. Two, people, if like people use drugs and alcohol when they feel like they can't escape. Either they can't escape their pain, they can't escape their environment, they can't escape the repercussions of their prior actions. And this feels like a very inescapable situation. It feels like it's making everything worse and it's completely unavoidable and it's not getting better. So that's really scary. And so either you can have a prior mental illness that's getting worse or it can be getting better or you can develop one throughout this process. And all three of those situations have been really present. For the people who have had mental illness who have gotten better during this situation, I'm so grateful for those people and for them to be able to have that experience because sometimes it takes like really dramatic changes for people to get better. And sometimes it's like as, you know, as extreme as this, you know, like, you know, like if we take someone has severe depression and they don't realize that it's related to their marriage and then their partner files for divorce and then they think it's the worst thing in the whole world and then they go through the divorce and then their depression goes away over time and they're like oh my god i didn't realize that this aspect of my environment was significantly contributing to my depression and now i feel freer and i feel happier and the pandemic has actually done that for people like i've heard of people who thought that they had a severe anxiety disorder lost their job and now they feel completely fine their anxiety is minimal even though they're like like they're like they have general worries like worries about finances or whatever but they don't have this immense immense feeling of panic and dissociation because their anxiety was related to their job and they were never going to leave their job until they lost it from the pandemic and so it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing but there are really some key things to look out for and that's if you are getting severely angry, severely anxious, severely depressed, have thoughts of hopelessness or worthlessness, where you feel like you really can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, which can be really hard because there literally is no end to this at this point. Like we don't know what's going to happen. And when people are insecure or they feel unsafe or they have anxiety, or this is familiar to a situation that they've been in the past where they felt out of control, the whole environment was out of their control, then it can be very, very scary and hard for them to be going through this. And so, I mean, what I've done is like, that's why I I joined this. I joined TikTok really shortly before the pandemic started happening. And I really believe that I stayed. Like, I don't know if, if it would have been my new thing if I wasn't in the pandemic. Like if I wasn't forced to be at home, on my couch most of the time, then maybe this couch wouldn't now be known internationally through social <laughs> media. Right. So it really just depends. But but I think a lot of people don't know how to take care of themselves because this is really unprecedented and that's what's causing so many problems. Yeah, definitely. Now now take that and we'll transition that into school. Right? Because now 
now there's that back and forth of school needs to start school doesn't need to start some parents want their kids to go to school some don't mm-hmm. what's that back to school anxiety look like for younger ones or even all the way up to to university level i suppose um what does that back to school anxiety look like for in that situation whether it's back to school or something completely new like uh distance learning yeah well the unknown is scary because we don't have any reference point of how to keep ourselves safe when it comes to you know I only I have a one and a half year old, so he's not in school, but I was going to like homeschool him anyways, because the public school system is just fucked. And I really don't mind saying that publicly. <laughs> it just is. And like, I barely use any of the shit that I learned throughout my entire 12 years of grade school. Um, so I just I don't know if I want to have my child be doctrinated like that and spend so sure. much time learning things that I don't think are very important. I mean, give him the information that he needs, but also allow him to live much more free. But I also have the freedom of not working a nine to five. So I understand that as well, to a degree, for parents. Because you, yeah. you work nine to midnight. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> at least I'm at home. <laughs> um, but I think like with anxiety, it's like, you know, I think the structure is important in general for kids of all ages, um, but it's gonna be different. So it's not, you know, people say, oh, like school is really good for children, but it's not going to be school. You know, it's just, it's going to look really different. And so it can cause them anxiety. And then making sure that whatever the system is, that they're ready to handle that. Because the biggest crisis that we're going to have on our hands is not that our children in 10 years from now aren't going to know geometry. It's going to be that they develop such intense mental health issues throughout this crisis and the people and they were just forced back into the system versus like thinking how is their anxiety going to be affected how is their interpersonal relationships and communication skills going to be affected when they're taught to like talk to their friend from six ten feet away versus being able to just pass a pencil or pass a a crayon or something and and so it's going to get difficult to like manage our mental health when things even start to go back to normal, because either it's never gonna look the way it did before, or we're gonna be so unused to what normal used to be that like, we're not gonna know how to have normal conversations with people. So I think that it really, it just, it really depends, but anxiety, like this pandemic has made us unsafe. It just has, like it literally has psychologically and physically. So anxiety is unavoidable. Like unless you're just totally ignoring ignoring like what's really going on, which makes you not have anxiety, then like you probably have a lot of anxiety related to everything that's going on right now. So it's just it's about managing. It's about knowing what your anxiety is, knowing what what anxiety symptoms your employees, your children, your friends, like what is it going to be like? when you go back to school, when you go back to work, when when things go back to normal, and then knowing what to do, like prepping yourself now for the anxiety that will arise. Because that's something people don't really understand. It's like, oh, if I have anxiety, then I'll figure it out. It's like, you should definitely have a game plan for your anxiety and be used to using that game plan before you are in a super anxious situation because you're not going to be good at it. Like you're just not going to be good at using the coping skill if you've never used it before. And now you're freaking the fuck out 
and you don't remember what's the process of the technique or how many breaths am I supposed to do or who was I supposed to call when I was having a panic attack, you don't know because your brain chemistry and your body chemistry completely changes when you're really, really anxious. So you won't know then unless it's something that you're already subconsciously used to doing over time. So we just have to teach people. We have to really be aware like that mental health is real and that the more that we avoid it, the worse that it gets. And if we keep avoiding it, then it's gonna like, it's a, it's already like a pandemic in itself. People just don't understand the mind enough to really acknowledge that. So yeah, it just depends on who it is and what they're walking into. Yeah, and now to stay on that subject of um, how to deal with it and stuff and, and ignoring it and acting like it's not, not there, kind of like you had said. Yeah. I know having dealt with it my, my whole life, I kind of figured out how to deal with it on my own. And But now what I've learned as I've gotten older is it transitions to something completely different. So do you have any advice on what you can do to, as you were saying, people should be prepared for that mm -hmm. time that they might get it. Do you have any um, advice on how they can prepare? And um, just so that if that time does come, I noticed you had mentioned, you know, having people to call, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I think two things come up for me. One is if you are alive, you've probably experienced anxiety before. And if you haven't experienced anxiety before, it's probably just because you don't know how to identify anxiety. So, I mean, we have to realize like, okay, so this is part of my issue with public school. It's like, we should learn about all of the different emotions that we can and may experience in our life. And if, you, if you're an adult watching this and you have not got that training, then that is where you should start. You should start by learning about what emotions are possible to happen in the human body and in the human brain. And then from that point, you'd want to learn how to cope with those things when they may arise and how to notice when those things are happening when they arise. But a few key things that you can do specifically and related to specifically related to anxiety is to know that it shows up in your body and it shows up in your mind and it shows up in your general sense of whether or not you feel like you want to be alive. Like, because that, that will determine your level of how safe you want to feel and how safe you don't want to feel. Like someone that's really, really depressed and like just doesn't want to live and is super suicidal probably doesn't have anxiety, like this type of person that I'm talking about, because they wouldn't care if they lived or died. And so like those three things matter of like, how does it show up in your body? How does it show up in your mind? How does it show up in your spirit is a good way to put it. And so we want to be able to identify those things. And if we don't feel anxiety, then it's learning about ways that it can show up for you so that you know what to do in the moment. So it's really just about education. Educate yourself. It's like, it's like getting a job. It's like you'd want to learn what is the shit that's gone wrong before in this position and have like a game plan, like an emergency plan. Like I own a treatment center. And as much as like I thought that it was never going to happen, like when I opened it in 2017, I get accredited by this hospital organization. And they said, you need to have a game plan for every natural disaster, including a pandemic that could possibly happen. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like this shit's never going to happen. 
And I have to have an earthquake plan, a fire plan, a mudslide plan, a pandemic plan. And they're like pages long. And then 2017 to now, we have experienced a the Thomas fire, a, like the largest fire in California, a mudslide that, that killed over 19 people right down the street from us, a pandemic, like all this stuff that I would have never expected to happen in the first three years of opening up a business. But I had a plan for them. We had a plan and we enacted the plan. So it's the same thing with anxiety. It's the same thing with any symptom that we may experience that we don't think we're, that we may think it's never going to happen, that we know for sure we won't know how to handle unless we have a plan for it. So it's like, and it doesn't take that long, you know, like with these courses that I'm offering, like this one's on anxiety. It's $22 and like you could realistically do it in like, five hours. I would really not recommend it because I want people to take time and think about it and journal and do all the things in it. But like, it doesn't take that long for you to learn about your emotions, which is why I dislike public school so much because it's such a major part of us as human beings and we're just not taught about it. And then we suffer with our emotions until the day that we die. And it's just really fucked up. But so it's about education, educate yourself, so that you can be prepared. Educate yourself and come up with even a minimal plan. Like, I know what anxiety is, so if I experience anxiety, here's one thing that I one thing that I can do that I think I will do if, hap- if it happens, and if for some reason I can't do that one thing, then here's one other thing that I can do. That's great, I like that. Um, planning is not my, uh, <laughs> not my thing that I'm good at. <laughs> or speaking apparently either um so now you mentioned you mentioned your lesson plan yeah. the truth secret community can we talk about that a little bit of course well i mean so my like dream down the line is to create um you know, so there's this company called the mindful generation i think and they create games and toys and stuff like that for children to teach them about their emotions. And so I really, really love that. And like my dream is to like have a curriculum for children to learn about their emotions so that they don't end up having to be adults taking these courses that I'm creating now. So the goal is to, like this is treatment basically. Like it's not therapy and it's not like really licensed treatment, but I'm treating the ailments of society in relation to people not understanding what's going on for them in their minds and in their body related to mental health. So like I've come out with two courses so far. The first one was really a baseline course, like how does your mind work? It's literally what it was called. And it's about how our unconscious can control our lives and does control our lives. Like 90 to 95% of our life is unconscious. Like we really don't actually know what the fuck we're doing or what the fuck's happening around us a lot of the time until we realize that and then we can start to observe a lot more so that's the first course and the second one is about everything that we're talking about today which is anxiety and i chose that specifically because of the times that we're in everyone's so anxious anxiety comes from feeling non-directional and not knowing what's next and not feeling safe and almost everyone alive today that can place into words that they feel that way would say that they feel that way. So it provides lessons of psychoeducation. It provides coping skills for a bunch of different types of t- 
topics that we're going to talk about. I have playlists for people to help them calm down and help them learn about their emotions. There's worksheets and handouts and private lives that I do for people. And, and I also do some one-on-one -on -one sessions with people too. And I just did my first one last month and it was really, really helpful because I was able to really sit down with someone and discuss their unconscious with them, which, and, and I can be more direct than I would be able to be in a therapy session. So as therapists, we're taught to stand back and wait for the person to figure it out. It's also why people end up in therapy for five to 10 years. And I feel like that's a waste of their life. Sure. I understand there's some like, you know, we want to take it slow. We want to base it on what they can and cannot handle. But in these courses, I can be direct and I can say, here's the information that you need. Now let's get shit figured out. And I can play a role in their healing versus just observing your healing. And both roles are important, but I really like that I can really provide people like, like I healed myself through becoming a therapist. I healed myself through my 11 years of post high school education. Like I would probably be a fucking mess if I wasn't a therapist because then I wouldn't have taken the time to learn everything that I needed to learn. So these courses teach people about their mental health and what they need to know to, to thrive in life and not just survive from the moment that they wake up until the moment that they go to sleep, wondering, is this all that life has to offer me? Because it's just not, there's so much more out there. And once we look inward, then we can look outward and realize that life is beautiful and it's what we make it. And once we realize that we have that control and that's what every single one of these courses teach, then we feel free and we find our true self. And that's why I'm called the truth doctor because people deserve to find their true self. They deserve to let the bullshit go. That's making their life miserable. And so I just infused what I've learned and what's helped me into these courses. And so far, like I just went through like 50, 60 comments in the last 24 hours of people in these courses they're really helping people. So I would encourage people to check it out. I made it really affordable. People think I'm crazy <laughs> for the price that I made it. Like someone said to me, do you even know how to do business? And I said, and I said, yeah, I own four businesses, but you know what? Like, I think if I made it any more expensive, then it would be about profit versus about people. And I just really want people to fucking feel better because when I am on my deathbed, I'm not gonna want to feel like I helped less people just so I could make more money. If I could help more people, then the world that I'm living in is a better place. And I think that that's all anyone really, really wants once they start actually paying attention to what's important in life. Yeah, definitely. And I'll put a link to the site so people can look it up at the end of this. But basically, it's uh, www.thetruth. No, what is the the truth truth dot dot com. Com. <laughs> I'm struggling. Today. Um, all right. <laughs> um, so now we've got all that. I, I did have a few people submit questions that they wanted answered. Sure. So if you don't mind, we'll go through those. Yeah, let's and, do it. And we won't do lightning round type stuff. We'll we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll do this normal. But let's see. The first one: Are anxiety and anxiety disorder the same thing? No. And here is why. So to get to have a disorder, like in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, where they all live in this ma massive book. 
to have a disorder, whatever symptoms you are experiencing have to be debilitating your life in a variety of different ways. Also, if we take anxiety disorders, for example, anxiety is not the only symptom in an anxiety disorder. So you can have anxiety on a day, and then if you have a day with an anxiety disorder, then you have anxiety, you have restlessness, you have difficulty concentrating, you have muscle fatigue, um, you have irritability, and those are the those are the literal symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder. So there, the difference is that anxiety is one emotion or one reaction. And then an anxiety disorder is when the prevalent emotion and reaction is anxiety, but it's also mixed with a bunch of other symptoms. And those symptoms are causing a you to be disabled in some form or fashion, or that it's affecting your life in some way, like it's affecting your job, it's affecting your relationships, something like that. Okay. Um, the next one, does anxiety tend to affect men different than women? Now, I know this is probably a very open-ended question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good question though, because I mean, everything affects women and men differently and everything affects people who identify as other genders differently as well. And you have to think like, so one thing that happens when we're experiencing anxiety is that we have a physiological response. So we have hormones that are released and chemicals that are released and in women and men, there are different hormones. And then in people that that are other genders, there's different hormones. Maybe they're on hormone stimulation. Maybe they're on hormone suppression. Maybe they're on, all of this is going to affect the physiological response when it comes to anxiety. And then on a psychological and cognitive level, there are different pressures. There's different societal pressures. There's different gender roles. Um, there's it's yeah, it affects the, it affects them in a different way. There's different prevalences of men versus women. And I don't have those exact statistics. They are in the DSM-5, but yeah, it affects people differently in every way. But I also think that the studies that have indicated like the main differences between men and women are also based on the things that I mentioned before. Like they're based on gender roles. They're based on there only being two genders of men and women. And so who knows, you know, all those studies could have, I mean, they're just, they're just um, theoretical. They're not fact. So when I see that question, I think that I can't think of anything that has affected someone in the same way as someone else. Like I think about a car accident, four people are in a car, they all get in the car accident. So they all experienced the car accident, but they were all in different seats. They all had a different impact. And so this is the same thing with trauma and the same thing with anxiety. So it really just depends. It depends on the specific situation, not necessarily gender, but hopefully that was helpful enough. Yeah, I think that analogy of the, the car accident is a really good way of putting it. Thanks. To help understand it. Um, let's see the next one. How did I get or develop anxiety? Well, that is a very specific question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear I didn't put that one in there. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I get it. I get it. Well, yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes up for me is I think about how I developed it. And that's because every answer is individual. But, you know, so that's what comes up for me. But then when I think about, like, how do we develop anxiety? Well, we're born with the ability to be anxious. Like, we can get physiologically anxious just simply because we have a nervous system. Like, like, like I was doing research for 
my course right now in the Truth Seekers community on anxiety. And I found multiple articles that reference the fact that sea slugs get anxious. Slugs get anxious. And it's like, okay, what the fuck does that mean? Well, what it means is that anxiety is really related to our nervous system's reaction to our environment. So like if you take anxiety from a physiological level and you just consider that it's a chemical and nervous reaction in our body, then we experience it because we're unsafe. So, and there are so many things that make us feel unsafe. So when we're younger, like when we are developing, we have interactions with our parents, interactions with our environment. Like, let's say that like every time that we do something wrong that our parents don't want us to do and our parents go, stop. But like much louder than that, our nervous system goes like, oh fuck. And then over time, we keep doing that over and over and over again. Our body keeps doing that over and over again. And so then like, and so, but then we don't realize that that's causing us anxiety. We're just having these like physiological reactions. And then when we're an adult and we hear loud noises or our boss tells us to do something and we like automatically feel like, oh my God, like, I don't know if I'm going to do it right or not. And then we have anxiety and we're like, well, how did I get anxiety? How did I develop anxiety? And we don't realize that over the course of our lives, so many things have happened that have contributed to our ability to have our anxiety be a psychological response. Like having anxiety be a physiological response, we're born with that. But when we attach our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions and our past experiences and what our parents think about us, what our boss thinks, when we attach all of that, to anxiety, we realized that we developed anxiety because in society today, in families today, in our own minds today, it's honestly almost fucking unavoidable. Like monks probably don't have anxiety. People that live in Bali on the beach with unlimited amounts of money and their family loves them and they have unlimited food and great music and whatever they need in life to survive. They probably don't have anxiety, but the, but the majority of people on this planet are not monks. They're not fully enlightened and they don't have every need met that they need met. And so that's why you have anxiety. That's why people have anxiety because to a degree we feel unsafe, to a degree we feel disconnected. And over the course of our lives, no one's really made choices to avoid you developing anxiety. So now you have it. So not to somewhat elaborate a little more, can anxiety be hereditary or genetically passed on? There are studies that show that, yes. And, and I think that that's important too, because we in the womb are affected by our, like our mother's blood is our blood. And our mother's level of stress releases cortisol into her blood. Therefore, what's going through our body is the blood with cortisol in it. And so our nervous system gets used to the cortisol. So then even when we're born, like we feel more comfortable in situations that cause us stress or that cause us an increase in cortisol. So it's not so, I mean, and I don't know on the actual genetic DNA level, cause I'm just not a geneticist or a chemist or someone that looks into genealogy, but, but I know that it's possible based on the maternal relationship when the child is in the womb and what chemicals we're used to and which ones we're not. And so I do think, that it is possible and studies have shown that it can be hereditary 
And then there's also like, so there's the biological hereditary aspect of it. And then there's just like the fucking generational family that you're born into. If everyone's anxious, yeah, you're probably going to be anxious or you're really going to be turned off by things that are anxious because you're trying to fully avoid having that experience that you didn't want as often as you didn't want it in your family dynamics. Yeah, so it could kind of go back to what you're saying and maybe indirectly be genetic by what you grew up seeing and, and being yeah. That makes sense. Okay, let's see. I think we've got time for one more. Do you have tips for handling anxiety in children? <laughs> this might be, maybe this is a whole nother episode. I don't know. But well, but, well, I mean, what comes up for me when I think about anxiety in children is it really depends on the age. So like someone who's between the ages of being born and two years old is going to have a different type of anxiety than someone that's between four and five and five and eight and eight and 12 and 12 and 15 and 15 and 18 and on and onward. Um, but in general, like it really, it just depends on, you know, we just have to calm the body. So if you have like a toddler that's running around or like a seven and nine year old that's running around, like not listening to anything that you're saying, then it's probably not going to work for you as a parent to just be like, excuse me, sweetie, can you just calm down? Cause that would be super great. Like that's probably not going to work. Right. So what you could do is maybe try to affect the environment of the person. So if they're feeling really anxious, maybe you dim the lights, maybe you play calming music, maybe you just shift the environment to make less sensory input for them and to make the general situation seem more safe. So that can be really helpful. And those things don't even have to be said to them. Like you, they can be feeling anxious and you can just dim the lights or you can turn the music down or put on other music or, you know, things of that, things of that nature or say things to them that you know that they, that like, that you know shift them, but you're not saying, I'm gonna say this tune, it's gonna help your anxiety. Like for my son, he, <laughs> He likes to scream, just like he just like to scream. Um, my my dad lives with us and he has a really raspy voice from smoking for 40 years. So he kind of sounds like this. So my like toddler will just scream like this, like really loud. And it's like and and but but he also does it now when he's really anxious. And so what I've done is like I just like like we'll talk in a much lower voice. Like I'll be like, shh, it's going to and like, and he's at the stage right now where he likes to mirror. So when I do that, then he goes, and he like gets really quiet, but he doesn't know that I'm trying to like stop him from screaming. So sometimes it's about like trying to help the child in a sensory way or a mirroring way without actually telling them that that's what you're doing, especially if like you can't communicate with them because they're so young. So it really, it depends. But the key things are like reduced sensory input can be really helpful. And then figuring out how the anxiety is showing up for them. So is it their thoughts and their emotions like related to like not having their friends around maybe like they're old enough with the pandemic, that their friends aren't around or is it like in the body, like they feel super anxious, heavy breathing, like feeling that they need to be away from everyone. And so it's knowing how to tell the difference between the two of those things, which is like super helpful in my course. I like really break those down of like how to identify what symptoms of anxiety you're experiencing in the moment. Um, and then using coping skills based on how the anxiety is presenting. So it, it's similar to how it would work with adults. It works the same way with children. Okay. That's all great info. This has been, this has been great, but I know you got to get running. Um, 
So where can people find you um, across your socials? I'm actually going to put that down at the bottom. So if you are watching, you can see that. Otherwise, I'll add the links after as well. Yes. Yeah. So on TikTok and Instagram, I'm at the period truth period doctor. I have a texting platform community that you can see down below 424-228-9525. There I send really healing messages to people. Um, you can email me for business inquiries at hello at the truthdoctor.com. And soon I will be coming out with a podcast that will be on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor that is called Your Unconscious is Showing. Um, and there I'm going to be providing 45 minute to hour long conversations about trauma, the unconscious, and how the fuck you ended up where you are and how to go where you want to be. And that podcast launches when? It launches on August 12th, which is my 30th birthday. Well, folks, that's it for this week's episode of That's the Worst Advice Ever podcast. I hope you had as much fun as we did and were able to pull some value from the information we discussed. I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Courtney Tracy, for joining me. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, please like, subscribe, and share on your platform of choice. Thank you again. As always, we'll see you next week.